Welcome back to In Our Own Defense Podcast. We're your host, Dr. Laura Sarver, and myself, Attorney A.D. Winters. Um, in this episode, we're unpacking, uh, am I ready to date? The dating conundrum, uh, as it were. And we've talked about it from racial, uh, spatial. We've talked about it from familial to um, our early on uh, set experiences. And so now, um, you know, we, we've talked about what qualifies as a dating coach. But Dr. Tarver, I know you wanted to talk about uh, grief as it relates to dating. What, what are some of the things you're, you're seeing? Yes, Attorney Winters. Uh, the challenge, I think, for a lot of my clients is, as we were talking about in, in um, the opening, is what happens when I come into a relationship and I'm still grieving, maybe the loss of a, a, another relationship. Uh, that could be a familial relationship or it could be a relationship with a, with a past partner. Uh, and so I'm, I'm entering into something before I've healed from something else or, or what happens if I'm that person who, uh, as we talked about earlier, doesn't want to be by myself and I find that I have a hard time functioning uh, or I feel like I have a hard time functioning if I'm not in a relationship with someone. We uh, refer to that sometimes as codependency uh, where I value you more than I value me uh, in the space. And so it's almost like I need you uh, to breathe, if you will. Um, and, and what about uh, these other dynamics of if I've had a domestic abuse situation in my previous dating relationships, or if I'm the person who tends to be aggressive in relationships, how can some of those factors affect my decision to choose to be in a relationship um, at this point in my life? Who wants to start with the heavy... <laughs> Uh, how about, let's see, Dr. Kurt, why don't you, why don't you start? I think, uh, Ms. Johnson hit that. She, she had to hit it first the last time. So we will, we'll allow you to go ahead and get that, that heavy question first. All right. All right. I just need one favor, Dr. Carver. Repeat that question one more time. <laughs> <laughs> if you don't mind, please, pretty please. Absolutely. Cause I asked you about okay. 16 things in the question, which attorney <laughs> Winters has told me to stop doing, but I keep doing it. Um, so if I'm experiencing grief and loss from past relationship, if I've been in a domestic violence situation where either um, I was a perpetrator of domestic violence or I was a survivor of domestic violence, uh, or if I'm a person that tends to be codependent in relationships, what are some of the factors um, and recommendations you would make to people in terms of, of dating in those, that, with those dynamics? Great. So again, dating and moving into the relationship are not synonymous, obviously. Um, I think that there is a, a, a place to date as you're healing. I also think there's a place to move into slowly a relationship as you're healing, right? It gives you a healthy relationship to be a catalyst for your healing, particularly if you're with a partner who allows you to show up as being your best self and practice uh, and unpractice some of those things that may have been traumatizing in previous relationships. What I share with a lot of both men and women couples um, is this whole notion about domestic violence and what that actually means and look like, because I'm not always for certain that we all see it or even feel or think of it the same. And that comes into how we relate to people. So generally, even as, particularly as men, we think of domestic violence as the physical abuse and even the emotional abuse and even the mental abuse. 
But what we don't talk about is the controlling and abusive behaviors that lead up to domestic violence, right? And even if it doesn't lead up to domestic violence, it leads up to domestically violating one another, right? So it doesn't have to go to the violence part, but we, both people involved, we violate each other by using controlling and abusive relationship, uh, excuse me, uh, behaviors, which causes us to be problematic for another relationship. So you may have been in a relationship, y'all may have been great, 10 years, you, he, he or she may not have put a hand on you, but you were traumatized for whatever reason, or you were uh, 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 re-traumatized for some of your earlier behaviors. So to unpack that, what that looks like and how that goes into codependency, uh, the whole notion of am I able to relate? I frankly think that once you start relating to who you are, and I don't mean healthy, I mean being well, emotionally well, is when you know that you're ready to start moving into a relationship. And two things that you can look for, what's showing up in your life and how you feel. What's showing up in your life and how you feel. And if you kind of check in and monitor those two things, you can kind of gauge on how ready you are to move into a new relationship. But I drive home this whole notion that all of us have been in relationships that have experienced violent or, uh, excuse me, controlling and abusive behaviors, whether that's interrupting, whether, you know, us the greed folks, we date somebody with less skills, we use ableism to try to bully him and trump conversations. You know, we are no exceptions on all of us who have practiced some form of controlling and abusive behaviors. Right. And so what may have made worked in one relationship, <laughs> you take that same thing, it becomes toxic in, a, in another. Right. May have worked in the previous one. Your new person is like, wait, slow down, G. <laughs> you can't talk to me like that. It could have been passion in your previous relationship. He could have been like, I love it. So those are the things that we have to think of when it comes to control and abuse. Now, trauma is a whole, excuse me, grief is a whole different thing. Right. Because grief is a, particularly for men, we're all grieving things now, right? On top of grief, on top of grief. Secondary trauma, uh, the world is grieving. We're grieving, particularly as black people, as black men, we're grieving for our black women, our black babies. So there is grief. And even when we move out of the mourning stage, we're still in grief. And as you guys know, grief has added on about three or four more steps. I often take people to the meaning part. Not that they need to expedite and jump over the stages of grief. Like, what's this mean? Like, can we find some meaning into uh, what this, this trauma and grief means for you, right? And sort of keep them focused on, is there meaning? Not on the grief itself, but for you, your purpose and your passion as we move forward as a result of some of this grief and traumas. But in the notion, I love the whole, I spend a lot of times talking about domestic violence, what that looks like from controlling and abusive behaviors, even on a subtle level, and how we communicate that to our children and our loved ones and even our friends, how men need to do the work, you know, even when we talk in guy talk, you know, like there's a way we can describe other women without being controlling and abusive, there's a way we can describe our current relationship, so that's, that's the work I do. Um, so yes, yeah, a lot, it's a lot to that, it's a lot, but what I want to leave uh, for all of us and our listeners is none of us are exempt from that work because we're all grieving something. Thank you, Dr. Kurt. You navigated that pretty well. Uh, hit, hit those out the park for me. I, I appreciate, um, one, I think I appreciate the perspective. A lot of our listeners welcome hearing about this Black man because I think that oftentimes when we have conversations about dating and relationships, our, our listeners sometimes feel like it's focused on women, it's not focused on men. 
Um, and so to hear that part about grieving and, and understanding how all of us can have behaviors that, that may be controlling at times or, or um, may be unhealthy behaviors that even if they don't lead to a point of violence, they still could be very toxic. So I think that's, those are two great points. Uh, Ms. Johnson. Uh, I'll tell you what, uh, Dr. Tarver, I'd love to ask Ms. Johnson. We heard the gentleman's perspective on that, and I do agree. I think Dr. Kirk hit that one out of the park, but there's something I would be remiss if I didn't get from a, a woman's perspective, just like women are learning from this show when they watch our, our, our female listeners. I think our men are learning too as, as we, we, we do a good job of trying to have a balance on this show. I'm concerned about what women may experience, Ms. Johnson, as it relates to maneuvering past those facades that we get into uh, in these relationships at the, at the onset, at the outset. Uh, we look into you know, people put on, like Dr. Kurt said earlier, we want to put our best foot forward. We want to live in a space where we can say, look, this is my true me. Um, and, and they sometimes, though, they come across eagerly to please and they give off a misrepresentation. They can't sustain what they, they led someone to believe that they were experiencing. How do we, uh, how do we get past that uh, when we, we see those uh, potential or this potential or putative spouse or putative uh, partner, putative friend uh how do we get past some of those personalities and and do we see those and extract those personalities how do how do we do that how do women do that um so that's very interesting um but i'm gonna do my best to <laughs> unload this one here um so getting past it i think takes there's a there's a book that um a therapist my therapist talks about it's like shall we dance and she read a passage of this for me because she talks about how we can be in a dance so often and we kind of get caught up in this dance and so i think the first thing is to acknowledge you're in a dance you need to acknowledge that you know people do put out their representative my take is understand that people will put out a representative and understand that it takes time for the representative to go away and then that is when you actually see what's going on and at any point you can still make a decision i don't want to be here I don't want to deal with the person that is now behind the representative. I think sometimes we get really stuck on the fact that the person presented themselves a certain way. And then it's kind of, and it's like, that's just natural. Let's just accept that that's what it is. Cause even for us, we put our best selves forward, right? You're trying to lure someone in. It's a dance, right? So just accept that. And then when you see what you don't like, make that, a, you know, decide then if you still want to move forward with this. Um, and so I think that's one part of the dating situation or scenario I would like more people to become comfortable with, that at any given point in time, you can decide this isn't working for me. That this green flag turned into a yellow flag that is now a red flag. <laughs> and so I gotta go. You know, you can decide to leave at yellow flags. You don't have to wait for them to turn red. You can decide that if with a certain amount of green flags, you're like, oh, but there's still a certain level of things missing here. And I still kind of don't want this for myself. So I'm going to still bow out. So I do think when we're looking at, you know, the representative and how to get over that, I think it's about giving ourselves grace in terms of the dating scene and the dating scenario that if it isn't something that you want, no matter when it shows up, it's okay to have a conversation about it. It's okay to explore and it's okay to then make a decision. Um, and I think before we can really do that, we do have to get really in touch with ourselves about what we want. Because I think we date people and we're not sure what we actually want. So we end up staying longer. We end up putting up with more. 
And putting up with more is also layered. It could be like Dr. Kurt said, because you were in the last scenario and somebody had a really high tolerance, you get to the next scenario and the person's tolerance is like, we stop here at 0.15, <laughs> you know? And it's like, okay, you know? So I do think when we're looking at dealing with the representative and looking at what that looks like, I think we really have to accept that at any, at any given time, we can change our mind. We can decide. I think that's a, I think that's a good scenario to look at it. I think that's great that, that women, really all, all of us should look at it from that perspective. But I think uh, sometimes men are extremely superficial. Uh, and, and, and Dr. Kirk, when you're, when you're hearing that men are visual creatures or, or, or kind of superficial when it comes to that, and I know as we've gotten older, uh, we've learned that, that superficial foolishness just doesn't work, no matter how good a woman may look. If, if there's, you know, she's not well adjusted or a partner may look, that person's not well adjusted, then uh, that's going to become problematic, extremely problematic early on, whether it's financials or emotional uh, construct or, uh, but, but from Dr. Uh, Dr. Kurt, one of the challenges that I remember as a kid, there was this TV show called, that movie called Friday. And the guy says, hey, she don't look like Janet Jackson. She looks like Freddie Jackson. And I know that we're not you know, specifically focus on looks in life. Uh, but that's a good telling sign of that someone presented a facade of who they, they were and uh, whether it was their own description of themselves or lead people to believe on social media that this is their well-adjusted life. And then they're vicious uh, in their life. And that men and women, they have this facade, but they are really bleeding on people. How do you navigate that facade uh, uh, briefly there, uh, Dr. Kurt? So there's a couple of things that come to mind. Uh, I think generally speaking, just in relationships, we have to become better at asking questions, right? Like posing real life questions, whether they come up as a, any color flag, whether they sit in our mind, whether they, I mean, we have to pose questions uh, with the, uh, the notion of getting to know one another better, right? Um, I don't think, and of course, you know, we hear men are this and women are that. I think that has more to do with a colonized approach to anything <laughs> than no, because I deal with both every single day and we are all confronted with 99 points in 99 of the same thing. Uh, we have been culturally conditioned to express it differently. Um, there's expectations assigned to us, there's child rearing and things of that nature. But I think as generally speaking, we have to become better at asking questions. We have to become better at asking ourselves questions. I don't think we check in enough with ourselves, right? Emotionally, like what's this about for me? What am I showing up? For men, I have to re-examine uh, their whole idea of what actually feelings mean. And when do they start emoting and things of that? Like, are you angry? Because, you know, as black men, you know, we're, 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 we're subjugated to a lot. So our default emotion is anger. So our person to do something, and we go straight to anger. Well, I wasn't really upset. I'm actually sad. I'm actually disappointed. I'm actually envious, you know? <laughs> but my comfort level is I'm mad as hell, and somebody got to do something until I start feeling better. Right. And so we go through that notion of asking that oneself question. Did she do or not do? Did she say or not? And what is that? Oh, I'm just triggered. It's not her. It's me. So we do a lot of that posing questions to yourself and become better asking of questions. Become a better questioner. Right. Become a better question. I ain't talking about set up, tripping her up questions or him questions. I mean, you know, like what's it like? 
with your parents or what you see or hell what's your favorite color i think we miss a lot of the basic nuances like you know who's a better ball player you or your sister you know like it how do you feel about that like right i just don't think we spend enough we do too much talking about where we are where we want to be uh things of that nature what we got what we want to have then saying then going back to sixth grade basic questions like what you what you have to eat yesterday so yeah, ask, um, ask better questions. Yeah, I just was going to add that I think that in dating, we really miss out on building a foundation and building a friendship because all the other stuff happens, life happens, you know, you are going to be going through all these other things and kind of like Dr. Kurt said, building that friendship and understanding before like romance really gets involved, what are your triggers? And I kind of broke that down with the other question in terms of like, if you're ready beyond a relationship and it's like that trigger, that emotional reactivity. When you are building a friendship initially, you can get to know your partner's triggers before they're kind of invested in the process of triggering them. <laughs> and so then you can kind of learn it, you know, you learn the curves, you learn the, you know, maybe some of the blind spots. You can talk to them about some of the blind spots before that emotional reactivity gets really high and i think if you do that then you have a better shot at navigating um the, the, you know the stuff that comes up because kind of like dr curry said earlier sometimes you don't know what you're still triggered by until you get into a relationship because sometimes if you pick the right partner they might be a mirror you know they might be so it's kind of like oh i didn't recognize all of this but i do think we miss out on some of those foundational pieces that can help us know if we're ready to be in the next relationship and understand our triggers and help us curb our emotional reactivity. I appreciate you both um, sharing though, I think because we do need to be aware of triggers. I like this notion of us having conversations ahead of time. Like let's kind of figure this stuff out before we're in a situation. Because once I'm triggered, then that could lead to domestic violence, that could lead to um, some toxicity in the relationship. But you two pose some interesting, uh, I think, dynamics that people need to consider. But when do we really need to think about maybe I don't, I'm not ready to date. Maybe I don't need to be in a relationship. Um, so maybe I am triggering. Maybe I'm triggered. Maybe I'm violent. Maybe I'm selfish. Maybe I'm codependent. Maybe I'm still grieving. When do I know when I'm not? If you all can just kind of hit a few bulleted points of when do I know that I, I probably need to be doing more self-work than dating right now? That's a good point. And here are my things. Um, if you are talking way more than you listen. So in any scenario, if you are always trying to prove your point, if you're always kind of in a defense mode or no matter, because it'll show up everywhere. So if you notice that that is happening, you're probably not ready. Um, I would say if you are emotionally reactive to virtually everything happening, if the computer is dead and there's just like this big overhaul blow up that the computer, computers die, right? That's a very normal thing. That, but if you're like explosive about the computer dying, and again, these things show up in very small ways, right? We're talking about dating, but the emotional availability, the emotional like intelligence that, you know, I can process and I can manage my emotions shows up in the small mundane everyday kind of task. So I would say um, those are kind of like my two points for if you're really struggling, if you are constantly defensive and if you are emotionally explosive with things that are kind of happenstance of life, you may not necessarily be ready to date and you may need, you may need to take some time to really kind of evaluate where you are. That's my condensed version. <laughs> Two good points. I appreciate that brevity as well with the excellent points. Uh, Dr. Kirk? 
Yeah, I, I, I can recap that uh, same with, with, with two terms I've used previously. Uh, for me, um, I offer people to know uh, if they're ready or not based on two things. How you feel and what's already showing up in your life, right? How you feel, healthy and well, uh, and what's currently showing up because we're all in some current relationship. And not that it, it, it correlates to an intimate relationship, but if you check in how you feel, like you're saying, like how you feel when your relationship crashed two months ago before I started dating, you know, are you still holding on to that? How you feel with the relationship with your colleagues, your sister, your brother, your stepfather, your stepmother? I always ask those questions to kind of check in, like how you feel and what's currently showing up as indicators to if you're ready to be ready to go back into a relationship. Now dating, if you could get somebody to drive their own car and meet you at a socially distant spot so y'all can just kind of coexist for an hour or two during this time, that could be dating for you. You could be ready for some human interaction. But when it comes to in a relationship, one, two ways to know how well you're relating with self is to check in how you feel and what's currently showing up. Because a relationship constitutes your ability to relate, not with them, with yourself and how that kind of rolls over into uh, the experience with you and another person. How you feeling? What's showing up? Work on those two for now. I think that's it. You know, I, I'll appreciate that question, uh, Dr. Tarvin, and I appreciate it. We, we kind of hit on uh, uh, some of these things to kind of go back to Miss uh, um, Johnson brought up the red flags, and and and, and Dr. Kirk just really kind of hit that with the uh, the take the break. But I do I would like for uh, you all to get into signaling in the practice of the law. Uh, if we're going to defend somebody uh, for domestic violence, or if we're going to prosecute someone uh, for domestic violence, domestic violence, or civilly prosecute uh, that inside of a divorce as a sub element of the reasonings for the divorce, uh, not specifically physical um, um, domestic violence or the emotional, or not just limited to that, but the financial um, control where it's to one partner may have the finances and the financial resources to have those uh, and tapped and they uh, bully the other partner uh, into some sort of suffragist movement where they're just stuck in a space where they can't move left or right because they don't have the, the access to those, those resources. What are some of those red flags across the board that, uh, uh, that may signal their needs to, sometimes we date it, now we wanna to come to a uh, conclusion of dating. So what are some red flags to all of you all uh, that we should, we should recognize uh, and then jump in uh, to close it out? If we could give those bulletage kind of points uh, I'll start with you, uh, Dr. Kurt. I'm going to need you to repeat the question one more time, Attorney Winters, if you don't mind. Well, I, I unpacked kind of what are the things uh, in, in, in the practice of law, we, we recognize clearly some of these behaviors and that's, that's why we have a dissolution of a marriage. Uh, we, we recognize that when we're prosecuting civilly and criminally uh, of those uh, domestic violence, emotional, physical abuse uh, and emotional um, and, and psychological abuse. But then we, we step into a space just on the dating front. How do we recognize red flags when we've already started dating? And as we're in dating, how do we recognize those red flags that say, hey, it's time to end this relationship? 
That's that's pretty concise, right? And I'll speak for from a uh, from a, a, a men's point of view, and briefly from a woman point of view, as I have worked with it. And so, for men, you know, I deal with men when it becomes domestic violence or just terrible relationships. It didn't end well, and oftentimes men want to do the locker room talk. Like, oh, she did this, and they've had some legitimate horror stories, and so they want to still discuss it on the same level as. Uh, the woman in terms of domestic violence. And so I had to bring in uh, misogyny and patriarchy and sexism and racism to kind of bring that whole picture in it. But I also have to talk for men about their initial selection process. You saw red flags, but then you saw big booty and other stuff too. And your homeboy said she was fine and she graduated from Spelman. You, so it goes back to the initial selection, but we have a different criteria. You know, you may run talk to your own boys, your fraternity brothers, and they like, dude, <laughs> she got a she got PhD from, you know, so it'll it'll be fine. And so it starts here. Oftentimes, men overlook our red flags because of what it looks like or what we think we could deal with and change and things of that nature. And even for women, I've known women to date high-powered men, very assertive, closed deals. They like it. It's passionate sex appeal until it's directed towards them. So he could be on the phone closing a multi-million dollar deal, but when he gets off the phone and directs that same passion, now he's perceived to be abusive and controlling. The money has already been transferred in the bank. He's being cheered on as being this assertive businessman with a high business acumen, but don't talk to me that way. And I think that's some good th things. Obviously, he's not gonna talk to uh, a business in that, but the whole notion of how we overlook when it's convenient <laughs> for a different criteria and how it bites us in the butt later on when other agencies have to get involved, whether that's our family, we got to move back home, we need bail money or things of that nature. So I say pay attention to whatever color flags, even make sure that you are seeing the green flags as green flags because sometimes we'd be seeing green flags based on our last relationship when in fact they purple you just ain't seen no green flag in a long time and miss johnson ah so good point there um so i think in terms of understanding flag colors right because basically we just turned this into a whole rainbow of flag colors um, so <laughs> i think in terms of understanding flag colors you have to understand yourself what actually makes you feel good what doesn't make you feel good what you're doing for you know the positioning or their posture in the community because i do think that we don't take the time to think about that um one thing i, I hear oh gosh forgive me everyone it's like men of course you like i don't like women that you know wear all that thick lashes makeup and wigs i said so don't don't date them but don't tear down the woman that does just go off and like what you like but there's always this kind of like I want to cut and it's just like we don't have to do that to each other you know women and men alike you know you can have your preference you can have your life but that doesn't mean that you have to kind of always voice this because what that's telling me is i actually might like that but i'm wondering what that means you know on the back end of things if i decide to jump in with this person or how will other people see me if i jump in with this type of person although i may say all of this stuff or i have said all of this stuff now falling in love with this woman <laughs> who wears all this makeup and hair but i don't talked about women being natural for you know however many years on instagram so i do think we need to kind of really take inventory um i do think we really need to just take inventory of 
what we actually like, what makes us feel good, what we desire. Um, because I think that that helps us to know what's a green flag, what's a yellow flag, what's a red flag. Um, and to Dr. Kurt's point earlier, I don't think we talk to ourselves enough and frequently enough, right? Because our values change. Your values at 25 may not be your values at 27 and 30 and 32. And so constantly having that conversation and telling yourself, you know, this was a green flag in my last relationship. It's a yellow flag in this one because after reflecting, I didn't really like how that felt or I didn't like how that played out or how that, you know, continued. So now that's it. Now that's a yellow flag. We're moving this along. Um, I, like, I like how you guys have given us the, the flag conversation. And, I, and we get to, I get the luxury of uh, pulling out the checkered flag as we are uh, coming to a, a, a conclusion uh, for this episode. Dr. Tarver, uh, this has been an exceptional show with, uh, with Ms. Johnson, Ms. Janae Johnson and Dr. Kurt uh, on here. And they've helped us really, uh, I, I think I moved um, about how we're really understanding am I ready to date. Before we let our guests uh, kind of close us out and tell us about some resources, Dr. Sarver, I mean, we, we've learned today about um, these definitional phraseologies that we talk about from cuffing to DTF, I'm blushing over here with friends with benefits and Bay and, uh, uh, and and understanding what healthy relationships look like. We we talked about the relationship, the time, and then the spatial connection, the racial connection of these re relationships, the family dynamics of these relationships, and even uh, experiences uh, that we encountered early on in our lives uh, and and how that groomed the impact of our ability to date. We've even talked about uh, the spatial uh, connection of the someone grieving a loss, whether it's familial loss or a loss of a previous relationship and how that impacts the new relationship vis-a-vis -vis the codependency aspect where people just love love and love relationships. Uh, one of the, uh, the things that we tried to get past was those facades that people run into. Um, is there, are there any closing words that you can help us uh, kind of sum this up for everything that we've learned today? Dr. Tarver, please. Um, attorney winners, you went into straight lawyer mode with that summarization of uh, <laughs> that factual information. I appreciate that. Uh, I, I will say to our viewers um, that we are not saying to you, don't date. I know that sometimes we end up leaving the heavy stuff for the end. And I don't want people to get the message that we're not saying you can't be in a healthy relationship and that you can't find what you're looking for. You can't navigate these things. So I, I, I like to leave people with that positive note of you absolutely can have the type of relationship that you want to have. You can have that partnership or whatever it is you desire, as long as you're in a healthy space and you pick people that are in healthy spaces too. And I want to just thank our, um, our two panelists, our two guests for coming on and sharing their insight with us. Well, well, I agree. Uh, we are so lucky. Uh, uh, Ms. Johnson, uh, Ms. Janae Johnson, she's a licensed uh, marriage and family therapist. Uh, and, and Ms. Johnson, I'd love for you to point us to some of your resources or how our listeners can reach out and see some of your content, read some of your past articles, or if there are any books that you would recommend or suggest vis-a-vis uh, uh, -vis the, the team world uh, that you are an expert in, or in the uh, space, um, uh, just overall, I uh, would love for you to share those resources with us, please. 
Absolutely. So you guys can find me just on my hub page is which is Janae Chanel. Um, and you can just uh, get tagged into all of my Forbes articles and everything else that I do from that main page, even all of my teen content. Um, but in terms of books that I would encourage women to read in particular, um, Women Who Run With the Wolves is one of my favorite books right now. Um, and in the, me in the Meantime by Iyala Van Zandt. And When the Chicken Heads Come Home to Roost is one of my feminist favorites. And I would just encourage all women to read, grab those three books, read them, sit with them, figure out however they move in your spirit. Um, and if you're on Instagram and you prefer some of that inspiration on Instagram, I would follow two pages. Um, one is Alex L. And the second one is Yasmin um, Cheyenne. So I hope you all enjoyed it today. And you can find me on Instagram at Janae Chanel. Uh, can you spell your Instagram handle for us, please? Oh, sure. It's J-A-Y-N-A-Y-C-H-A-N-E-L. Good deal. Thank you so much. Dr. Kurt, if you don't mind, do you think you can uh, share with us your um, your information and, and, and great resources? Uh, I know at I Am International, that's a, a profound uh, organization, but can you share us uh, your information? Sure. So uh, you can find me everywhere. Uh, Psychology Today, drcurtisdjasper.com. You are your own solution.com. Uh, counselor Counseling uh, Solutions.com. Uh, but more importantly, I like to offer people just to read, like check in. This would be the time to read. I mean, I, I don't have any particular reading resource. I think that there's enough, there's a lot of solid writers out there. I'd say find some strong black writers and spend this time that we've all kind of slowed down to just read, just read whatever your area of interest is, just read and whatever your area of expertise, this would be the time to tighten up on it as well. Relationship, if you consider in relationships and moving into marriage, the Gottman Institute is a good place, G-O-T-T-M-A-N. They do phenomenal work, I've been, uh, following them for years. Um, uh, I did work in domestic violence. So, you know, I just caught up on all of my bell hooks. So, uh, uh, writing. So those are the things that I'm writing that I'm working with now. You can find all of my books on Amazon. Uh, I've written a couple books. I've written some articles on, uh, Huffington Post, uh, just a regular guy, uh, who, uh, who would like to make a difference. I take a more of an educational approach to the than a clinical approach for my own personal professional reasons. I think there's some significant trauma and rage and emotional damage that we as black people can benefit from other black pra practitioners and that we can come off some of the colonized training that we've had, some of the formal training, whatever that is, mental health, even law, and sort of get into the grassroots of what this means to be uh, connected and, and collaborate under, under Black Power. So that's what comes to mind. Look me up on Instagram. I am Dr. Curtis, Facebook, Dr. Curtis D. Jasper, Twitter, Dr. Curtis D. Jasper. Rock with me. I post a lot daily, like to live out loud, because what's important is that the people who need to find me can find me. Well, thank you both so much. Uh, Dr. Uh, Curtis Jasper, uh, of course, is the executive director of IM International Inc., and he also heads uh, Concierge uh, Counseling Solutions. And, um, you know, we have Ms. Janae Johnson. She's a licensed uh, marriage and family therapist and the co-founder of the Black Brain uh, Campaign. They've been with us today on our own defense podcast to help us unpack Am I Ready to Date? Uh, they've both provided us great resources, Dr. Tarver, 
uh, and we're so lucky to have them here. Um, you know, we've been discussing on our radio to date with Dr. Uh, Kurt and uh, Ms. Johnson, uh, and this is In Our Own Defense. We're your hosts, Attorney A.D. Winters and Dr. Loris Tarver. For more information about our podcast, please follow us on social media, Instagram, Facebook, and YouTube at In Our Own Defense, and email us at inourowndefense at gmail.com. Thank you. Have a great day.